One Week Season. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to week 14 of the NFL Edge Breakdown with myself and the man, uh, the DFS guru, Mike Johnson. And we are recording this on Saturday afternoon. The World Cup game's getting ready to start. So I appreciate Mike jumping in with this. I had a funeral yesterday I had to attend, so we're a little bit behind here today. But it also gave us an update to get access to a few more things. If you're listening to us on one and a half speed on a podcast, you can also check us out on YouTube and see our pretty faces with some of the breakdowns of this game. We're going to break down the Texans at the Cowboys. We're going to break down uh, the Chiefs at the Broncos. We're going to break down the Panthers at the Seahawks and end with the Bucks at the Niners. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing well, doing well. Uh, yeah, Saturday, so a little closer. It's kind of nice the later you do these. It's I know the timing's always tough, but... Uh, you get more, you have more information, you, you know, more about weather and injuries and that sort of thing. So uh, excited to dig in here. Well, we're going to start before we came on. We were talking a little bit. We're just going to get the Texans and the Cowboys game basically out of the way. Um, I, I was trying to look up. I just didn't have time because I had to drive and I just got back. But the, I couldn't pull real quick. The last time a team total for an NFL team was only at 13 points. Right. Uh, Mike, you break it down. You talk about, you know, David Mills is back, but no Nico, no cooks. Right. Playing, you know, a 30 point team total in the Cowboys. The question really for me is, do you want an exposure to the Cowboys here? And, you know, in the case that they just decide they want to put it on them and the Cowboys go put up 40 points by themselves. Yeah. So it's a particularly interesting spot because I think there's a lot of risk here on the Cowboys side, which is weird to say about a team that, you know, is projected to score 30 and a half points and has scored over 40 points three times uh, in the six games since Dak Prescott returned from injury. So, but the, the worry I have is this is a team that is playing really as well as any team in the NFL right now. They've clearly got Super Bowl aspirations and they've got the team that can do it. And this Texans team has just been so bad last week. They, the Browns really, let them stay in that game. The Browns just played really poorly in the first half. But if you look two weeks back, they played the Dolphins and the Dolphins were up 30 to nothing at halftime without really doing much. And the Dolphins kind of shut it down in the second half. Didn't really, they didn't score any more points and they were very conservative. And so that, that kind of makes it tough for me. Like you said, Davis Mills is back. The Texans have, not been good offensively and they're without their two best wide receivers. So it's a situation where I'm a little fearful that the Texans just are so bad in the first half. The Cowboys have short fields and it's a thing where the Cowboys could be up 31 to three at halftime and everybody could be having fine games, but what are they going to do in that second half? I think Zeke and Pollard or yeah, Zeke and Pollard are both, um, they're both very critical pieces to the Cowboys long-term plans. And they, 
I could see a situation where Malik Davis is playing the last quarter and a half. Um, and then you look at the Cowboys passing game and CD Lamb's very expensive. Gallup and Schultz are solid plays, but they don't necessarily, the game doesn't set up to where they're going to have like 25 point games that blow up. So it's just a thing where from a season long standpoint, like, yeah, play all your Cowboys, but from a DFS standpoint, it, everybody could do well. The Cowboys could smash and you'd other than the defense, you might not really want any of it. Yeah. It's an interesting spot for me here and how you play this and where you go. Um, let, let's do a little recap last week while we're, while we're talking about this one. Um, did you, cause I haven't got to talk to you about it yet. So I have no idea. Did you manage to play? You know, we talked about it. Our, our whole thing was the revenge narrative last week. Uh, I mean, it was the title of our podcast. It was the title of everything we put out. Did you play any Hertz double stacks and where did you end up there on that side? Cause that was the game, you know, one of the big games we talked about. No, I had a decent amount of Devante didn't really land on much AJ, AJ Brown. And then, uh, yeah, Hertz, I didn't really get to. So wasn't a profitable week for me. Man, that's uh, sorry to hear that. I, I, so I did, I, I got there. I said, I'm going to spend the money. Cause it was, for me, it was an ownership per- perspective when i started seeing the you know the combination of ownership between all three uh i thought that ledge could be there i i really would have so one of my lineups had burks i would have loved to seen where that went had burks not got that concussion um that one had a ton of opportunity and uh you saw i messaged you i pivoted in the afternoon uh Sure, wish Kittle would have got there, but you know, I got I got to Dotson. It was one of my ways I left myself open was in that salary change, and uh, part of that was you know we did talk about it last week that that was a spot to really you know you could probably expose and go after. So mm-hmm. I was curious to see how how you came across there because this for me this game lends into the opposite of that. I, I brought that up to say, right, you could see where you know the Eagles would want to step on the gas, they would want to keep going. And here you just brought it up, right? Do the Cowboys really want to put any extra wear and tear on Pollard, on Zeke, on Dak, on Lamb, on Schultz, right? You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're cruising there to see, right? Cooper Cush, Cooper Cup with a quarter and a half, right? Cooper uh, Rush. Yeah. So uh yeah. have see him rush there with a quarter and a half. And uh, you know, that type of thing. If they're just, you know, if they're just absolutely, you know, crushing them as as the Vegas total says it could, um, you know, and the other side is, you know, maybe they just run the ball into the ground and they just control the clock and maybe they win, you know, 21 to three. Right. And they just don't even try to put up all those points. Cause they're like, ah, right. We, we don't have to, right. We're, we're looking further down the road. We're going to cover this game and keep going. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they're going to score a lot of points. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not really concerned about that. I'd be kind of surprised if Dallas doesn't get over their team total. I'd, I'd be pretty, kind of surprised if they don't get, if they're not scoring 31 or more points, I, I'd be, I'd find that surprising. Um, you know, you just look at how they've played even this last week. I mean, they had 54 points against the Colts and it just, the onslaught happened and their defense is so good. That's the issue is that Houston's going to try to, run the ball and try to keep it close early, but the Cowboys offense is going to score and they're going to have to open it up a little bit. And 
I mean, this Cowboys defense is it leads the league in uh, c- combined sacks and turnovers oh. on the season. And that's just not a good situation. But that's that's why I said in my write up that I think the Cowboys defense is the best value under four thousand dollars on the slate this week. And, you know, I don't see a scenario where they're not scoring 12 to 15 points. And I think, you know, you look at the last two weeks, the Dolphins and Browns defenses are averaging, averaging 24 draft games. The the Cowboys are better than both of those units and the Cowboys offense is going to put up more points and put more pressure on the Texans to throw. So yeah, I, this is like a like a forty five to seven type spot is what I see. It's just a matter of can those can that production condense? Is there a scenario where the Cowboys are up thirty one to three or thirty one nothing at halftime, and somehow Gallup broke a big play and there was a, a Zeke got tackled or Pollard got tackled at the two and then he threw a touchdown to Schultz and then. You know, could could the could all the production come through the air? Could the touchdowns come through the air unexpectedly? Or that you know, the most likely scenario is Zeke and Pollard combined for 200 to 230 total yards between the two of them and two two or three touchdowns. Like, is there a way where one of them could have 130 yards and two or three touchdowns on their own? Like, could that split not be so even? And that's a, there's two ways you could go with that. And I think both running backs are are viable because it's Pollard's the more explosive guy. He can, he's more involved in the passing game. He can, he can certainly get there. If you look at his production over the last five weeks, he has, I think four games of 24 or more DraftKings points, something like that with a couple of them. One is like 35 and one's 39 points. So you look at that and he's only priced at $6,700 and it's like, it's insane. Um, obviously that's because of the Zeke, the usage stuff, but it's like crazy to think about. On the other hand, this is, you talk about narratives and the Cowboys, you know, riding into the ground that like Zeke is their guy and trying to justify that contract. And it's like, this could be a spot where it's just low hanging fruit. They could just feed him. They could give him, you know, two, the three quarters of the work in the first half and let him, you know, they want him to be the guy that gets three touchdowns and is jumping in the, the salvation army uh, thing. Right. And, you know, it makes them look good. Obviously in high leverage spots, I think that everybody can realize Pollard's like that dude now, but I could see like a narrative sort of thing where they're going out of their way to get Zeke involved. So, and in small field, I think it's very viable to play both together. Um, You know, and it's, there's just, there's a lot of ways you could go with it. I think it's viable to, to leave it alone altogether because of the volume risks that we talked about, but there's a lot of, lot of scoring to go around here. And if that condenses in any certain way, that's going to be, that's going to be something you probably need to have. Yeah. That's um, if it does, right. If it condenses, right. Where are you going to, 
where are you going to be able to go there? That's right. Like the $10 million question we need, we need the answer to this week. So interesting to see um, the Dallas D is I'm going to, I don't care what the ownership is. I'm playing them. Right. Like this is right. This is a spot, right. You had to have the Browns last week and I had some Browns exposure. Um, I had a ton of, you know, the next game we're going to talk about, I had a ton of Broncos exposure, which at the price point was nice until right until the Browns got to that 30 point total. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. Right. But again, yeah. you pay up, you know, and it, it just, it had to take, it took me off a couple of my, you know, my mid price guys that I really liked last week and, and how you could pivot there and, and what you could do as you know, far as that goes. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, how we get there. And if you come uh, check out the DFS interpretation on one week, you, you can see a little better breakdown of that. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of that, uh, you know, we got a much higher scoring point total. The Broncos have projected four more point total than the uh, Texans. Texans this week. Yeah. Sorry about <laughs> that. I was looking, I was looking at a stat, um, you know, and then we got the chiefs who is, you know, has one of the highest projections on the slate. Um, you know, this is a unique spot for me. I'm I'm really interested to hear your, you know, how you want to attack this and what your thoughts about exposure are to to this game with some of the ownership we're seeing so far. Yeah, so it's an interesting spot. And I t- kind of talked about the the Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes stuff in my in my breakdown. But so basically, if you're playing Kelsey, you kind of need to play Mahomes. When Kelsey has a big game that justifies his price, it always comes with a 30-point game from Mahomes as well. So if you're going to play Kelsey, you pretty much have to play Mahomes with him. Along with that, though, if you look at Kelsey, he he's averaging uh, 16.9 points per game in the seven games where the Chiefs score 27 points or fewer and 28.2 DraftKings points per game when the Chiefs have scored 30 or more points. So a lot of this comes down to, like, what do you think this Chiefs team, what do you think that they do are capable of doing against the Broncos? Because if you think they're going to go over this point total, you think they're going to score 30-plus against this what has been a good defense, but... Broncos had a lot of injuries. I mean, I think everybody's just like sick of playing with Russell Wilson and being coached by Nathaniel Hackett at this point. Yep. You know, this is the type, this is the point in the season where, and I kind of talked about it last week, teams, sometimes what you see on paper and rankings and what you think of teams doesn't apply. And it's hard to know exactly when it's kind of more of an art. And sometimes you can't really know, but you have to, you're going to play some things certain ways just because things aren't as certain as it might seem because you have 12 or 13 games of data. But the reality is this Broncos team, do you think that they're going to get rolled by the chiefs? Are the chiefs going to score 30 plus points? Because if they are, then based on the data we have, there's a good chance Kelsey's rolling. There's a good chance that he's having uh, you know, a game, the type of game that breaks away from the pack at tight end. And then based on what we've seen, when that happens, Mahomes is also a very viable play and the ownership doesn't appear to be uh, restrictive at all there. I don't think there's, I think Kelsey is going to have some ownership, but uh, Mahomes is going to be sub 5%. 
And then you've got the receiving situation, which Tony Kadarius Tony was just ruled out. So that yep. keeps things a little bit tighter. So yeah, it's 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 an interesting spot. I think Mylena got I I kind of like going back to the Isaiah Pacheco Pacheco well. Isaiah Pacheco had eight in the last four games, he has 15 or more touches in every game. He had 23 touches in their game against the Rams two weeks ago when it's set up very similarly to this game with the Rams having an offense that was is very conservative and is un, unlikely to really open things up, even if they fall behind. And they've got a defense that's probably going to keep the Chiefs from rolling off you know, 40 points. It's not like they're just a walkover defense. Um, and it's a situation where the, the Broncos are more susceptible on the ground. So I could see a situation where Pacheco gets 20 touches again. And I think he's the type of guy just from the eye test, seeing how violently he runs, how explosive he can be at some point before the end of the season, I wouldn't be shocked if he, he puts up like a 25 to 30 point DraftKings game. And it could very well be this week. Uh, I won't cry if it's this week. I would love it if it was during best ball playoffs yeah. uh, due to my, <laughs> due to my exposure. That would be a really, uh, that would be a really cool time for him to do it on some of my teams that I got him going through on. So I, I won't cry if he goes there. Um, you know, you, you were talking about that there of, you know, when Kelsey gets there, when he gets there, what, you know, let's talk about that tight end possession real quick, right? On the opposite side, we have, you know, Greg, you know, Mr. Dolchich, you know, leading the pack right now, he's almost at double the ownership projection currently than Kelsey. How, mm-hmm. how are you, how are you looking at this? Is this good chalk for you? Is this bad chalk for you? Um, and, and I lead that in because I want to talk about, I don't know if you got a chance to read that Twitter thread this week. Um, got some pretty good exposure about the tight end position. Uh, there was a bunch of really sharp people talking about it. Uh, Dwayne McFarland started talking about it and uh, it got a lot of people commenting and I'm, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts are there. Uh, I have not seen the Twitter thread. I don't think that I think Dulcich is he's fine chalk without Sutton. He is basically playing a wide receiver position and he's it's a situation where he, at $3,400 and at a position that has been like a nightmare to figure out this year, he's almost certainly going to see six to nine targets. And he has a role where he does get some downfield work. And I think he's like fine chalk. Generally speaking, I'm not trying to get many players on my team, on my rosters that, play for a team with a 17 and a half point team total. You know, I look at, I even look at something as simple as like, sometimes you can get carried away with projections and this guy and that guy. But then like, if you step back from a DFS tournament perspective, so Dulcich is $3,400. He's going to be 25 to 30% owned probably. And his team is, he's got not a great matchup. His team's probably not going to score many points. For $500 more, you've got David Njoku playing with the best quarterback of his career and the second highest team total of the week. And he's $500 more 
which isn't much, and he's going to be sub 5% owned. And, you know, I think David Njoku is equal or better athleticism. So when you look at it just from a tournament perspective, it's like, I don't think Dulcich is like terrible chalk. I don't think that you, I think teams can, it, it was earlier this year. He played in that game against the, uh, the Jets, I believe it was, which was a very ugly game. It's back when Zach Wilson was still the quarterback. Oh, yeah. That game was bad. And he was like $2,500, $2,700, like, and he was ch- chalk. But I think he put up like nine or 10 points and like people were able to win GPPs with them on the team. So I think that's certainly, he, he's very viable. I look at some other guys like Njoku that I mentioned. You know, George Kittle's only four forty three hundred dollars. Oh, we're we're, we're going to save that. Let's save George. You know, we're end so with that game. Schultz, who we talked about from the Cowboys game, he's forty four hundred on a team that could score six touchdowns. So, I think he's fine. Chalk again. We we talk about it one week season all the time. We talk about roster construction mattering. So you know, I don't think that playing Dulcich with a Jared Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown, DJ Chark, and, you know, a, a Vikings piece, like with that stack and then Joe Mixon at running back. I don't think throwing Dulcich in there is, is going to help you because you're going to be, you're eating a lot of ownership and playing kind of similar to the field with how you built the rest of your lineup. Yeah. But if yeah, if you're playing if you're playing a lower owned stack, like we're gonna our next game we're gonna talk about. Yep. If you're playing, if you're stacking that game up, I think it'd be fine to be like, hey, I know this guy's gonna get targets and isn't gonna tank my lineup and throw up a, a three point game, you know, barring injury. I think that's the type of lineup he makes a ton of sense in. Well, let's uh, I, you know I want to move on to that game because. The rest of this breakdown from a DFS theory perspective is really good. Um, so if you're a member of, you know, the inner circle, if you're seeing behind the wall content, uh, come check it out. It's uh, it'll really give you a unique spot on this game. So we're going to talk about uh, the Panthers at the Seahawks. And I just have to start and ask, did you watch the Monday night game? Uh the Rams game? Did you watch the Rams Raiders? Oh, the Thursday night game. The Thursday, Thursday night. night. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it live. So I went I rewatched like the second half basically, but I, I knew what was what was gonna happen. Right. I was I was following um I was not at home during it, so I was like following on my phone like the up like the play by play or whatever. Yep. And I was like, this can't be right. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, that that was that was wild, right? And uh, the interesting narrative there would have been, right, if the Raiders end that game, right, and they run it and they get the first down and it's over, right? It's a, an entirely different conversation this week, right? Um, it was fun to watch, right? Um, it, it was a great last drive. The, you know, the rate, if I was a Raiders fan, I would just be like so upset at how my team played that, um, you know, they were playing not to lose and instead they didn't win. I mean, there was a lot of stuff, but we can't talk about the Carolina Panthers without talking to a little Baker after, you know, that experiment obviously failed there. Uh, mm-hmm. And the new narratives in, you know, in LA should be fun. You know, I, I talked about it right after the game. I was like, I can't wait to hear this week about, 
you know, Stafford has this huge contract. Stafford's injury prone. They have Baker for nothing. Is this, you know, can McVay whisper to Baker and get him turned around? Well, I think I think Stafford's career might be over. Interesting. I, I think he, he has a spinal. I don't and a yeah. couple of people have talked about it, but he has a spinal cord contusion. Like yeah. he has a bruised spinal cord. That's like he that means there's something. Ross Tucker, uh, if anyone follows Ross Tucker, does some good content on NFL stuff, former yeah. offensive lineman. And um, he was talking about it because he had like a similar thing. And if you have a spinal cord contusion, it means something's bumping up against the spinal cord. And it means there's a disc out of place. So he has to have surgery basically. And it's a pretty risky surgery if he wants to play football again. So Tucker was just basically saying Stafford's got to decide, like, does he want to have this risky surgery? And if not, then his career is over. And for a guy who has accomplished a lot, who's won a Super Bowl, who's his wife has had some health scares in the past. I think it was cancer she battled. Yeah. And and has taken a lot of hits over his career. Yeah, he's had right? he's had a lot of concussions. He's had shoulder issues, back issues, now this spinal cord contusion. I wouldn't be shocked if his if his career was over. And frankly, like I mean you know, I'm a father. I've got a young daughter, you know, so you start thinking about things from that perspective. And like, if it was, if he was my kid, if I was older and my kid was in that position, I would want them to stop playing football, you know? So um, it, it'll be interesting. And I, you know, I think from the Rams perspective, they being able to pick up someone with uh Baker's pedigree it, when you're potentially going to lose that franchise quarterback was could 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 look it could look like quite the steal in a year or two. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes and right it already started and and all that different stuff. So this is uh this is what I'm going to start in a unique spot on because when I started looking at ownership earlier today uh as I was getting back the one that stood out to me and I get it it's a price thing but currently projected as the third highest ownership is the Carolina Panthers defense versus the Seahawks. Uh, so I want to kind of start there. The Seahawks have a 24-point total, and I'm interested to see, you know, one of the things I know you're big about is not paying for cheap defenses at high exposure, right, at high ownership. What are your thoughts there? Because I, I, I get it's 2,200 bucks, but I can't wrap my head around it. Like, am I missing something? Are, are we not seeing something? What are you seeing here? Yeah, this again comes back to like it. And when you throw, so when you throw the Cowboys into this mix and how good of a spot we talked about there in, you throw the Steelers are only 2,800. They're going to probably be fairly highly owned, but they're playing Tyler Huntley who has struggled a lot and, you know, is probably going to be a low scoring game. You've got Brock Purdy on the slate. There's a lot of other options. I I'm pretty I was pretty surprised by that that the Panthers would be that highly owned. A lot of people just want to pay the least they can for defense every week. They just do it no matter what. And of those lower price defenses, yeah, the Panthers they make the most sense. The Texans are right there. Obviously the Panthers look way better. The Broncos play the Chiefs who are one of the, you know, the highest scoring offense in the league. The Giants play the 
Eagles, the, all the other defenses play much more high profile, high scoring type offenses. So it makes sense that they would be the most popular cheap defense, but it's not a spot that I'm particularly interested in. It does, you know, the more I, as I'm talking through this right now, it does make some sense from the standpoint of how pass heavy I expect Seattle to be this week. And we know that defensive scoring is facilitated more so by opportunities from opponents passing to get sacks and interceptions, uh, you know, and force fumbles from the quarterback. That's where you get more defensive fantasy points than from just looking for a spot where they're not going to let the other team score much. So, um, yeah, I, I think that like I get it, but it's not really a spot that I'm particularly interested in. Yeah, so that's it. you rolled it perfectly in, right? Uh, if you're unaware and just listen to this and haven't looked yet, and you're just starting to do, you know, late Saturday afternoon, do your research because uh, you only build a couple lineups and this is when you have time to do it. You know, the, the Seahawks have, you know, the walking wounded for the running back position it's just a hot mess so as mike was alluding to we're going to expect a lot of passing in this game and (coughs) you know as i go back and i start looking at ownership again um while it's working its way up there i'm just kind of shocked that you know it's not higher while they're in the upper echelons uh you know after what they did last week you know that seattle stack uh, i expected to see versus the panthers a little bit higher ownership at this point uh, and it's not quite there yet. How how are you attacking their their passing slate? Yeah, so on the Seattle side, they're most likely DJ Dallas and Kenneth Walker are both unlikely to play. They didn't practice all week. Very rarely, especially at the running back position where you take so much, you take so many hits. It's very rare that a, one of those players would play. So what that leaves the Seahawks with is. Travis Homer is their kind of next man up and he's a passing game specialist. His strength is in the receiving game. Their other running back that we know will be active is Tony Jones Jr. Who is sub replacement level. I mean, he's the effectively fifth string running back behind Penny Walker, Dallas Homer. He's the fifth man up. So you look at it from a, an approach how their play, what their play calling will be. And, you know, we can look at just this last week, they played the Rams defense and it turned into a very pass heavy game plan once Walker went down. And I think you're going to see something similar this week. And I think the Seahawks defense has been so bad recently. We talked about, you brought up the Baker Mayfield thing. So that Rams offense, all right, take one more step. The Raiders defense on the season is is hands down the worst defense in the NFL. Trash. Absolutely. They're they're 32nd in the league in most metrics. They held the Rams to three points over the first 56 minutes on Thursday night. So that's the worst defense in the league held the Rams to three points in 56 minutes. The Seahawks defense just gave up 23 points to that same Rams team. So what does that tell you about the Seahawks defense? So to me, that that along with the fact that this Panthers offense has been surprisingly good recently, the Panthers offense has in four of their last five games has scored 
I believe it's 22 more, 22 or more points, which everybody thinks of the Panthers offense is how bad they have been for most of the year. But yeah, their last, their last five games, they've got four point totals of 34, 21, 25, and 23. So I think the this Matt Panthers, rule effect. what's that? The Matt rule effect. Yeah. And well, and just PJ Walker and, sure. and Sam Darnold have, have been better. And it's a matter of what do you, the, the one game, and that's the thing going back to Baker, the one game Baker started for the Panthers. He just wasn't a good fit. There was against the Ravens. They only scored three points. So a non Baker Mayfield starts, they've scored 21 or more points every week. Now they face a very poor Seahawks defense that, you know, gave up 40 to the Raiders two weeks ago and they let the Rams, the, the pitiful Rams score 23 on them last, just last week. <clears throat> so <clears throat> it's reasonable that the Panthers are going to score some points here. They're not just going to get run. And the Seahawks, we know they're going to have a very pass heavy game plan and they're unlikely to be able to just like shut it down. They're not going to, they're unlikely to get up 21 to three and just like, okay, now we can hand it to Tony Jones and whatever. So the pass rate should be very, very high. And when you look at Gino Metcalf Lockett, Gino's been so efficient this year and Metcalf and Lockett combine for such a high percentage of the mark, the target market, the, the, the targets and yardage and touchdowns. It's a concentrated spot that we can expect greater usage than what the price shows. And they're not going to be unowned. Like these aren't going to be one or 2% plays, but I think that stacking those guys up and you could even include Travis Homer or Noah Fant as like a, a Gino with three players stack. And I think that's like super viable. And I even would look at using uh, one or two Panthers on the bring back. So on that side of the ball, um, right. Is it, you know, DJ and who else is, who else entices you there? Uh, Dante Foreman. I really, really like Foreman. So yeah, Cam Akers has been dusty the entire season and he had a 20 point DraftKings game just last week. <clears throat> and obviously Josh Jacobs was setting records two weeks ago against right. the Seahawks. Their, their run defense is very, very poor. And Foreman is just like a battering ram. Like he's just the type of guy that yep. these teams that are struggling to tackle and have these schematic issues are it's a problem. And then DJ Moore has been, it's weird to say because of how, what the narrative around Sam Darnold has been throughout his career and how bad he kind of has been. But when Sam Darnold's DJ Moore's quarterback, he's significantly better than when anyone else is over the last two years. So you look at those two guys and, you know, they have a combined 10.9 K salary and we don't have to look that far. Like it was four or five weeks ago, those two combined, they each had 30 point games together in that Falcons game. Yep. And Seattle's been right at the center of several uh, high scoring shootout type situations this year. So yeah, I've, I've been building some lineups where I've, I've built several lineups already where it's Geno Metcalf Lockett and Fant or Homer instead of Fant and then Moore and Foreman. And 
you've actually got a decent amount of salary to finish, to fill out those last three spots with it. And basically it's just a bet on does this game go over the total because it's going to be concentrated in those areas. Yeah, that's a, it's a great way to approach this. And I, I really like the, in our paid content area, the DFS interpretation of, of where we're going to go there. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave that for our subscribers to come check out. Um, we're going to finish up with Tampa Bay at San Francisco, uh, you know, low point total. Uh, I'm going to go back to the tight end, you know, and we just started talking about it. We're going to start with Mr. Kittle who missed, you know, while they missed last week, right. We saw what happened. He is $4,300 this week. And, and that thread I was talking about, it, it was interesting to read. And here was my interjection into it. And, and talking about what I would love to would love to see from one season, but more importantly, where people are going for it right now, right? So right now, Chig with you know Tennessee, he's cheap. He's twenty seven hundred. You know he's you know top ten ownership tight end right now, right? Um, but does he really have the opportunity to break the slate? You know, you hear us talk about it every week. There's only a couple of tight ends that really in the league that can break the slate. They're not going to put you up 35 or 40, 40 points. And Kittle is one of them. So at $4,300, if right, can Kittle get you 25 points? George Kittle sure can, right? And if Kittle gets you 30, right, you're he's a must-have in that. Um, but the narrative of it was you should start him over George Kittle this week. And, you know, Dwayne was talking about, there's just no way, like I'm not starting that guy right <laughs> over George Kittle, who has, you know, an 89% route partition participation rate when, you know, when they're throwing. And what I said is I would love to see Kittle in a, and I, I didn't explain it necessarily perfectly in a non-blocking role, blocking role and what i mean by that is in a gronk type role with brady what does that mean i want to see kittle on a team that throws the ball 65 percent of the time right and what hurts kittle is elite other weapons right you got cmc you got debo you got iuke i get it right um but again that opportunity upside there for me is is a unique spot to approach a pretty low scoring total game, you know, and the overall being below 40. Yeah. Yeah. Kittle is, is very interesting as you said, and I actually not going to give away the farm here, but one of the cheap stacks that I mentioned in my player grid this week was Purdy with Kittle. And the thought process is basically, if you look at what, what you're talking about, like Kittle can break the slate. And if you're putting him in your lineup, that's kind of what you're saying is like, well, he's too cheap. This guy can put up 20 to 30 points. Well, if George Kittle puts up a 24 point game, what does that look like? Well, let's break it down. That's probably five catches for a hundred yards and a touchdown is 24 points with including the DraftKings bonus. So if he has 100 yards and a touchdown right there, that means Purdy has at least 100 yards and a touchdown. Or if Kittle has six for 80 and two touchdowns, that's, again, around that 25-point range. And Purdy was fine last week. Like, he wasn't great, and he's not going to, like, he missed some throws, but he's not that different than what Jimmy Jimmy G did for him. Like, they're going to 
run underneath stuff. They're going to try to get the ball in the hands of their guys and they're going to let their guys make plays after the catch. And the other thing that people want to look at last week from like a usage perspective, but they weren't expecting Purdy to play in that game. So Kittle became like, he was chipping before he went out on his routes a lot more. He was doing a lot of things and he didn't, have any reps now if you're game planning for Brock Purdy all week if you're Kyle Shanahan George Kittle's probably a guy that you're gonna want him to rely on a little bit that you're gonna want to I think about back to the Monday night game in Mexico when Kittle had his two touchdown game and I think the like his average depth of target was like two yards down the field but he just made these like monster plays after the catch and there's nothing like a high school quarterback could throw some of these throws that that he that these guys are catching and then making plays after the catch. So just from a uh, salary perspective, Purdy plus Kittle is ninety four hundred dollars on DraftKings. So if Kittle's scoring twenty five, it's very likely that Purdy's scoring at least fifteen. Purdy scored fifteen last week against the Dolphins right. in a game that they led the whole way. So it, that's, that's, and then what it does, what it opens up for, for you salary wise. And like, there's upside there. Like if Kittle had like a, a 140 point or 140 yard game with two touchdowns, or if he has a solid game and Debo and McCaffrey are catching screens, there's a lot of pass to that particular pairing going for 40 to 50 points, which is, you know, you're looking at four or five, six X the salary. And that's kind of, that opens you up to so many of the high priced players that, that are in really great spots this week. So that's why I want a great way to lead me in to be up the question here for you. Right. So do you see that with Shanahan trying to, scheme more screens to CMC, you know, screens to Debo, you know, those type of things. And do you bring, you know, do you bring either one of those into that stack considering their price? No, not, not price wise, because I think, I think what you're betting on, if you're playing that stack, because like, let's be honest, the Bucks defense is pretty good. And this is a very low scoring game. So by if you bring those guys in, that's that's a lot of roster spots. That's a lot of of salary all of a sudden that that you're relying on. Now, I think McCaffrey in himself is a very good play. I think Debo's interesting at a lower price tag. So I think that they're all like viable, but I wouldn't be playing like a three man stack there. McCaffrey without Mitchell, he's got basically the best running back role in the NFL. He's he's like the guy he's going to see eight, nine, ten targets this week. And he's going to be their focal point in the running game until. Until the game is in hand, basically, they're, they're not using Jordan Mason except to just spell him uh, sporadically. It's not like how Mitchell was working in for a series and that sort of thing. So yeah, CMC's role is terrific and he in himself is a great play. 
I think Debo Samuel's super interesting. He had four carries again last week, and I think he had 10 targets. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I think Purdy is he, he's just the quarterback or the point guard of this offense, kind of like Jimmy G was. And so I think his that change in quarterback is is hurting the perception on a lot of these guys far more than it should be. I don't think they're all going to hit, but I would be surprised if one of them doesn't doesn't put up a really nice price considered score. So with that being said, how do you get yourself and do you want any exposure to the Bucks in this game versus that 49ers defense? Yeah, it would a lot's going to depend on Leonard Fournette's status. He was added to the injury report Thursday and then he didn't practice Friday. So if he doesn't play, then Rashad White becomes like a great play. The Bucks, the Bucks have one of the worst running games in the NFL, and the 49ers have the best run defense in the league. So the Bucks are probably going to have to have a high volume of passing, similar to what they had to do against the Saints on Monday night. And in that game, Fournette and White combined for 12 receptions. So I think Rashad White is very interesting. I'd kind of like, I would kind of prefer if Fournette was active because at this point I'm of the assumption he's not fully healthy. So I'd kind of like him to, and Schefter to say like tonight to be, to come out and say Fournette's going to play so that White doesn't get real steamed up, you know. But I I think White in that scenario still is going to be the guy who has the larger low workload where it's like 70-30 split towards him. And I was saying this earlier this week, and I said it uh, a couple places. There's if each even if they split it both halfway, the Bucks are likely to be high pass volume. And you look at what the running backs did. So if we assume they have each have six receptions again, all it takes for one of them is to fall in the end zone. And they're already at like 12 or 13 points before you add any yards onto it. So for mid 5k and a lot of passing games, receiver and receivers that are more expensive that I want to get to this week. I think that white is really interesting just from a standpoint of he can get you a 15 to 20 point score that, it's not going to win it for you, but it can open you up to what could win it for you. So I guess if that makes sense, that's kind of my, my approach to them. Um, And then you look at the receivers. I actually did a thing on Twitter yesterday about Mike Evans and it's just wild. He's been one of the best touchdown scorers in the NFL really since he's come into his career. He's second in the league and receiving touchdowns in the last four years. And but in the last eight games, he, he he doesn't have a receiving touchdown on 68 targets. Since Brady got there over the last two seasons, he was catching a touchdown once every eight targets. So during that eight game stretch, he should, based on previous, uh, based on previously how he's performed, he would have eight touchdowns during that eight eight game stretch, and he has none. Now, sometimes matchups and how teams look and whatever it doesn't make sense but for Mike Evans at 6400 with the usage he's been seeing and and the lack of 
the big plays and the lack of touchdowns at some point it's likely to correct. And I just think it's a, it's an interesting thing to look at. Okay. So let's talk about that. You, you, you just teeing me up great today. Cause I have that noted from your Twitter uh, thread. So I'm going to give you three options on this game and tell me what direction and how you like approaching this. Right. So um, we have the Purdy Kittle stack. Do you run it back with Evans? All right. And no white. Okay. We have Kittle. Do you stack him with the Niners defense against a team that's probably going to have close to the most pass attempts this week? Um, there's a good chance because of how much they throw the ball, right? So you take advantage of the Niners defense. And what do we say we're looking for? We're looking for interception opportunities, sack opportunity, right? And, and we know that's going to be there. Or do you go for a different direction and take the stance of we're going to take you know, Evans and white and just run them naked and say, Hey, they get us there. And the 49ers have, you know, spread it between Debo Kittle, Samuel, Ayuk, and none of them break the slate, but they still get the points there. What, what's your, how do you like looking at that and and walk, walk our listeners through how you would break down that process as you looked at those different situations? Yeah. So I think it's understanding kind of, the story or the how things would likely play out for certain players to have their games that really pay off. And then what that would likely mean for the other side of the ball and which players that suits uh, fits well. So like you talked about the Purdy Kittle stack. So if you're playing that, I'm looking at that as Kittle's games where he is getting there. Usually they're being pushed a little bit. And so you could go multiple ways. You could go with the bucks are in control, which could be white as the running back. It could be Godwin as the he's had like double digit targets. And I think like eight of the last nine games or something, it could be Evans had the big plays to push him there. So I think any of those are viable. Um, I think a really interesting one, especially on FanDuel that I like is Christian McCaffrey and Mike Evans because McCaffrey is like the engine of this offense and he's priced fairly low. And so I could see a situation where McCaffrey, if he has that big game and San Francisco gets a big lead, that's that might be where Tampa Bay is forced to open things up and push things down the field a little bit more, which would benefit Evans. Uh, from the flip side, I think that the Purdy Kittle, if they're throwing more, if Kittle is having to get there, then I think it's more likely that the Bucks are able to play how they want to play, which is, again, they're going to have to throw the ball a lot, but that is has mostly been in the underneath area. So that could be, we saw the game against the Browns where Chris Godwin caught, I think it was 12 passes is for 110 yards and a touchdown and he was just working as that like short underneath guy just getting peppered with targets so I think like a Godwin or a White would make more sense with the Purdy Kittle stack and I think Evans would make more sense with McCaffrey and as you alluded to I think the 49ers defense is in a great spot this week the Bucks offensive line has struggled all year and they're going to have to throw the ball a lot this week regardless of game script so 
and the 49ers defense has just been teeing off on people. So, and both te- things can be true. You know, the, the Niners defense can have a good game and so can Mike Evans or Rashad white. Yeah. I think that's a spot that a lot of people miss from the DFS side is that you can have the defense have a great game, right? Look at the, you know, Cleveland Browns last week and have the other side of the ball still have players that are helping you get there. Right. Um, both of those things can be true. Right. I mean, it's not hard. Like imagine the Kyle Shanahan's a great coach. Imagine the the Niners get the opening kickoff and he has a great scripted opening drive and they march down the field and McCaffrey scores a touchdown. And then the next possession, the bucks are having to throw and would it shock you if at this game, I think is a, uh, 425 Eastern uh, kickoff. Would it shock you if at 440 Chris Hansen pops on your red zone and says, shows you a play with a pick six from the Niners to go up 14 nothing? And then what happens at that point? So, like, the Niners defense is basically optimal at that point, and they're going to tee off for the next three and a half quarters. But also, White and Godwin and Evans are going to see just an incredible amount of targets. So, you know, people get too caught up in, oh, if this defense is doing great, like these offensive pieces are all going to be terrible. Like it might be a nightmare day for Brady, but the other guys, like they're going to, they're going to touch the ball a lot. And and they're not, this isn't a team that all these guys aren't 7,500 to $8,000, right? So that, that comes into it too. And we're getting lower ownership on everybody. Then what we would normally see for most of the players in here, right? Like even going to like, as I go to running back, right? Like uh, <clears throat> McCaffrey's only at projected at 12% right now, right? Like that's in a, you know, in a unique spot when you start looking at wide receiver, that's the one where I started going, okay, uh, scroll down, scroll down. Godwin six and a half percent projected right now. Um, you know, that, that number. Was, and he's you know, usually like, the field usually loves Godwin. Like he's, right. he's rarely lower than like 15%. Right. So, right. So you're looking at him and at his price, right? I mean, he's 6,700. Like, where does he fall within there? Like, I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, so I think there's some spots to leverage what in a normal week would probably be a higher own game uh, to get us there. All right. Uh, as we're finishing up here, uh, I asked Hilo about this earlier, uh, and we we're talking about this. I'm gonna. I got two things for you. We have because uh, we've talked about tight end so much. How do you feel about Andrews this week? Right. We got. We have Kelsey Andrews Kittle all on the same slate. Right. There is a lot of salary right to pay up. How do you feel knowing what Huntley has done with him in the past? And how's your, how are you viewing tight end this week? So for me, I like Andrews a lot on FanDuel and I don't really like him on DraftKings. So he, I think he's, you guys want to saw me make my sad face. He's, he, he's a guy that I guess, Everyone thinks about that one good game he had last year against the Packers that really, and he he had a solid game, but it was, I think it was with Josh Johnson actually at quarterback against the Bengals. And that run he had 
towards the end of last year and specifically that one big game with Huntley. But Huntley hasn't been great, and the Steelers' defense is legit. I, I mean, again, you talk about Andrews. I think like you should be very excited if you have him on like your season-long team. He's likely to have a very good game. But when I look at him on DraftKings and what his price is at, so you've got TJ Hawkinson for $1,400 less. And Hawkinson's role has basically been the same as Andrews since he got to Minnesota. You've got Dalton Schultz and George Kittle over $2,000 less than him. You've got Dulcich and Noah Fant. Yeah, Fryermuth is only $4,500. Right. Um, so it's it's just a pricing thing. You look at him on FanDuel and he's 6,800 and some of these guys are only like $1,000 cheaper than him. And like he's Mark Andrews. When you're play, paying like almost double the price of some of these guys on DraftKings, it's tough. And it's like he could he could get there and have a 30-point game. And that doesn't that still doesn't necessarily break you because of what he restricts you from. There's not a ton of great value spots like where at receiver and running back where you can go down and feel like super comfortable. So if you're playing Andrews on DraftKings, it's hard to, to make that fit without sacrificing a lot at the other positions. So he could have a 30 point game, but if, if a couple of these guys that are 3000 to 4,500, if they have like a 15 to 18 point game, you don't really gain anything. Yep, that's uh, that's why I wanted to ask and get your breakdown there uh, on which slate you preferred him on. Uh, and we talked about it a little last week as we end up here, right? Week fourteen, you have your you know you have your teams that are going through best ball, right? You, you kind of you know we all have a bunch on the bubble, uh, but you know you got your teams that okay, like short of you know World War Three, these teams are going in. Who uh, who are some of the guys you're excited about? Uh, you know, for this playoff run of, you know, week 15, 16, 17 here. I'm quietly very optimistic because the two tight ends that I've been like, that I was very heavily on. And that when I scroll through and I look at like my teams that are currently advancing or in third place and like have a good chance to make the jump this week, David and Joku and Dallas Goddard are on almost every team, at least one of them and sometimes two of them. So Njoku coming back this week and Goddard, all the positive things about him likely coming back next week. That's very exciting. And then it's funny because so many of my teams look very similar, like at running back Pollard, Ramondre, Rashad White. Those are the type, those guys are on a ton of teams, receivers. I've got pickings on a ton of teams. I built a lot of teams with. Deshaun Watson, and then I have like Amari or DPJ or Njoku with him. So I'm hoping that they uh, they can shake the rust off this week and have a decent game heading into to those uh, best ball playoffs. Yeah, so I'm on the Goddard train. Uh, I'm looking. I'm pulling up. You see me looking down here. I'm looking at some of my exposure. I'm on the Goddard train. I'm I'm big. You've heard me talk about it now, right? I I have a lot of Fields Comet stacks. Um, that I didn't stack Mooney or, you know, anybody else, Monty with them. I have a lot of there, uh, but, and then the other one for me is, and I'm excited to see 
what he can do towards the end of the season here. I have a bunch of Bellinger, right? I was getting him in, you know, the end of drafts. I liked his upside. And for me, it was the story I told was it's Dabble, right? What did Dabble do with Knox in, right? In Buffalo. So I thought, Hey, where I'm getting him, right. Allowed me some opportunity there. Um, running back, right. I'm swift is my guy. He's my number one owned. Um, you know, I have a ton of Barkley. I'd love to see him get going. Um, you know, and then I have a ton of ETN, Pacheco, Stevenson, uh, CMC. So I, I fortunately faded and, and it could bite you right weeks 15 through 17. Cause where I think is a land, but I didn't fade, but I drafted a lot more CMC than I did JT. Right. As far as that goes uh, in that one, two spot, I just liked the overall usage of what I think CMC can do. Um, I'd still love to see Tony get going. Um, but, you know, one that's, you know, a couple that's killing me is Sutton, right? I was big on Sutton. That's, that's a crusher for me. Um, you know, there's a couple others in there that I'd like to see, you know, get going. Uh, but quarterback for me is, you know, is fields, um, you know, and I'm looking here, I actually have a ton of Deshaun Watson too. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what, uh, if he can turn it around, you know, he obviously looked like he hadn't played a game in two years. Um, I'll be interested to see how he can look this week. And really, you know, I, I drafted him to say, Hey, right. If he gets back here, it gets a couple games under his belt, right. Where, you know, with, you know, with where he could go, what can we see, you know, coming to, you know, coming down the stretch here and it'll be fun to, uh, sweat these out and talk about. Cause now I don't look at best ball. I don't even really look at my week to week until we get here. Like I'll peek at them, but like, I don't, I don't really care till now. Right. Cause it really doesn't matter. So I'll be interested to see where, uh, where it gets going this week. Well, and really there's, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> like there, right. it, none of it matters really. <laughs> We're yeah, all gonna, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. Like it, it's a fun extra sweat, but Right. Like we're all helpless at this point. Yeah. It's what's interesting for me to see is, you know, in the social media space and Twitter space where everybody's, you know, the guys that are really into best ball and they're talking about, Hey, look at all the teams that have scored me here. Like they got me this many points. Like I have a bunch of Philly Miami stacks that have gotten me a ton of points, but I don't think it's that that's right. For me, it's what are the other pieces, right? I really care you know, what other pieces are going to, you know, the unique pieces, right? Just like we saw last year, right? We had week 16 with, you know, Chase and that stack. Week 17, you had to have access to, you know, that Detroit-Seattle game in week 17 last year. So I'm interested to see, you know, where this plays out because, you know, everybody talked about, you know, uh, and let's use what the Cardinals were the talk of best balls, you know, hey, look at their schedule at the end here, right? 15, 16, 17, the Cardinals got a great schedule and who knows, you know, it, it could go there, but man, they, you know, they've had, you know, we've seen what their struggles have been this season. So uh, it, it'll be interested to see who, who this week for me, what I, what I'm actually excited to watch is who over the next few weeks, like what goes there and then what that makes the narrative going forward. And then they make the gospel this year, as I like to call it. Right. So Best ball's so new and there's so little data. Uh, it's interesting to see people call it the gospel and this is what you have to do. Uh, so I'll be interested to see like what wins it and they'll say, okay, hey, this is what you have to have next year going forward. Right. Yeah. The the overreaction to the to the one year sample based on 
specifically what happens in those playoff weeks is is interesting. It's an interesting psychological experiment. For sure. And then last question of the week, who is on the lower price side? You know, give me somebody under five grand. Uh, give me one or two guys that you like this week, uh, you know, and that, you know, 35, you know, three grand up to five grand range. Yeah. So I like Elijah Moore. He's a guy that he's, I've, you talked, just talked about best ball. I've got a decent amount of him and it's interesting that he, his season, his advance rate probably won't be great, but he's a guy who could kind of come down on down the stretch with Mike white as his quarterback. So Elijah Moore is, is an interesting one. Uh, 3,500. I expect the bill or the jets have been passing much more with Mike white the last two weeks. And, uh, the implied game total says that they should have to throw a lot. And I would expect the bills to give a lot of attention to Garrett Wilson. So that's an interesting one in that same game. James cook kind of seems to be taking over that bills backfield and is 4,600. Um, we were just talking about the Browns. I think Kareem Hunt at 4,600, just from who Kareem Hunt is as a player. And he's in that game. That's the second highest total. And you look at, he actually had pretty solid usage, especially in the first half. It stood out to me. He was on the field a lot with Deshaun Watson and his skill set kind of fits. If they're going to open things up a bit more, if they're going to, have to throw more his his skill set fits a little bit better than Nick Chubb so that that'll be an interesting situation there so like those are you know those are three guys that are you know 3,500 for Morris 500 over the minimum and then Hunt and Cook at 600 over the minimum on at running back those are guys who a 20-point game wouldn't be surprising at all from Right. Uh, for me, it's in that Cleveland game, the 5,000 and below is uh, Donovan People Jones, right? Uh, we're still getting him under five. Uh, he's projected sub 3% ownership right now. And, sh- right, like he can also really easily put up zero. But if him and Watson start getting their timing down, right, we, we've seen what Watson, how Watson likes to target deep threats, right? And, and next thing you know, does he get you, you know, can he get you 20 points? Uh, I really like that spot for him. Um, you know, at that price point. And then the other one for me is Justin Watson, right? Um, in Kansas City. Um, the fact for me that Sky Moore, if I was a dynasty player, I'd be worried about Sky Moore, right? Um, with what's been going on in Kansas City, the fact he hasn't been able to demand, you know, from his playability, more ownership and more time. Uh tells me like, Hey, where's the upside? And, and, you know, for me, Watson's a guy that, you know, is that, you know, sub probably 2% owned cheap guy that can go in that, you know, Hey, if that game goes, you know, and and we talked about it there, there's a guy that's, you know, helps you offset that Kelsey Mahomes pricing. Right. And gives you, gives you a three stack there for me. So I really like Watson in this spot this week. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. And I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head with Sky Moore. So he does have a like he's got extra opportunity and he kind of fits that gadget role 
with Hardman and Tony out, but at the same time, they've got Hardman and they just traded for Tony. So that kind of tells you a lot about how they see Sky more. So, yeah, I think that Watson, uh, Watson's likely to have a, a pretty big role. Uh, very interesting there. I think Valdez Scantling or Juju is, oh. is also interesting there. Um, those drops last week. Oh, those drops. I played him. He was one of my salary saver spots on my Philly was? stack. Uh, MVS. Like, oh, okay. And, you know, we had those couple big drops last week. So, sorry. That's little post-traumatic uh, <laughs> stress. From, yeah, because he, right? he had two catches for 71 yards. So, yeah, it wouldn't have taken much for that to get over 100 with a touchdown if he no, holds on to the ball. No, he had the catches. No, he had yeah. him. He had the opportunity. He dropped a couple of them, like right, like. Yeah, so no, I, I'm like, saying his stat, his stat line was two for seventy one, but he dropped right. like he had four missed targets. Yeah, but that's so, that's who he is. Right, <laughs> he is. You know, uh, it's uh, it's yeah, he is who he is, and I, and I keep going back to that. Well, but you know, because right, the one game he catches them. Right, the once a year, maybe now he he catches him. He's gonna break the slate at his price, right? When he yeah. actually hauls in all those targets, right? Um, you know, ask two. You know, for those who really play a lot of MME, ask two guns what he thinks about MVS. So, <laughs> right, uh, you know, that's you know, when he gets you there, he gets you there. So uh, it's there. Well, we thank everybody for tuning in again. If you're not uh, if you're not in our discord, come check it out. We have a lot of this content available on our discord and, you know, we want to show you the value that we have first. And from there, then you can say, wow, I'm getting all this. Imagine what's behind the paywall. Uh, one of those is, you know, Mike's Sunday crunch and he's, you know, he's breaking down, uh, you know, the Sunday afternoon slate and, uh, where he's, you know, where he's looking at that afternoon only slate to get some leverage there. And, uh, it's a really unique spot, uh, that I enjoy reading every week. And it, it usually gets me to, uh, look at some lineups a little bit differently, uh, than I would have. I've been like, okay, why are we want to pivot here and, and how to process those. So thanks everybody. And, uh, hope you guys have a great week. Yeah.